Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, a slight tangent, the crappy quiz, and you had to be there. Five goals in 20 minutes. It's just, you can't do that. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Andy Mitten is with us. Andy, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I'm tired. I did, uh, was it two games um, last night and I, I only got back from, from Cyprus on um, Friday. Don't realise how far Cyprus is. It's a, almost a five-hour flight away. A lot of football coming up. Manchester United have now got five home games in 18 days. So, uh Busy times. This is the meat of it now. Um, and busy times, but bouncing into it off the back of an important win after everything that had happened in the previous couple of weeks? I think it was an important win. I think Manchester United played well. Still lots of room for improvement. But coming from behind, away to an informed team with a very tight defence was hugely encouraging for Manchester United, who'd lost the game at Goodison uh, last season. Uh, there were cameos from Cristiano Ronaldo who came on after 27 minutes replacing Anthony Martial. Uh, Casimiro um, added to just 82 minutes of Premier League football. That's all he's had so far. So for him to start and to get stronger as the game went on after giving the ball away leading to Everton's opener was also encouraging for Manchester United fans. Anthony in the first half, uh, Luke Shaw, uh, David De Gea towards the end. Um, it was it was a really good night, uh, and unusual for Manchester United to be playing at seven pm on a Sunday night, but it was a good night for Manchester United. Having watched Casemiro last night, then Andy, and over the last couple of games, what is he bringing to that Manchester United midfield that Scott McTominay can't bring? When he signed, I spoke to someone very senior at, at Barcelona, and he said to me, without putting his name to it, that. He does the invisible things. Players love playing with him. He closes down the space. Defenders love playing behind him. Clearly, he's experienced. Surprisingly good in the air. He won all eight balls in the air in Cyprus. Not that it'll be judged uh, most strongly against uh, Cypriot teams. What did he do at Goodison? Well, he missed a sitter with a header just before half-time. But he won the ball back in midfield... Uh, read a situation very well and released it straight away forward to Cristiano Ronaldo, who ran onto it and scored. So I found with Casemiro, when you speak to people who play football or manage football, and I did quite a lot of that the last few days, they're absolutely glowing about him. Fans less so because he's not so obvious, but I think United fans saw the way he set that ball up last night saw that he was part of a win, part of a team who came back. Look, he's, he's, he's one of the best midfielders in the world in his, his position. He's got the medals and trophies to prove that. But he has to get used to the Premier League. And when he lost that ball after five minutes, I thought, it's a little bit faster in England than it is in Spain. But I don't have any doubts that he, he will do that. It did take Ten Hag a little while to get him in the team. We were having this conversation a little bit earlier on and he played a full game in an hour in the international window and it felt like the first game back after that was the time to get him back in the team or to to start this kind of process of getting him the Premier League minutes. But 
It's not that Ten Hag was reluctant because he obviously picked him last night, but what was behind the slow introduction of Casemiro to the squad, to the to the starting lineup? Two words, Scott and McTominay. He was playing well. He deserved to keep his place in the team, picking up a few too many bookings, including last night at Goodison where he was on the pitch for a couple of minutes and he got his fifth booking of the season, which means... Uh, he'll miss the next league game at home to Newcastle on Sunday, which is almost certain to mean that Casemiro uh, starts again. I think he would have started anyway because I thought he was one of Manchester United's uh, best players. But uh, McTominay's had, had, had a good start to to this season. Um, when he didn't perform as well against Manchester City, not that any players did, I think that was an indicator to Eric Ten Hag, OK, I'm bringing my biggest guns in now. We can't afford to be losing any more matches like that, even though Manchester City are a level above Manchester United at the moment. And you don't pay all that money for a midfielder from Real Madrid, one who was man in a match in the Super League as recently as August, and then not play him. Granted, he's a totally different type of player to Frankie de Jong, who Eric Ten Hag wanted throughout most of the summer. But again, it, it's Casemiro. He's one of the best midfielders in the world. Uh, Anthony scored again, 3-3. Three and three, uh, Really tidy finish. Uh, sort of got under the radar, it feels, considering they spent so much money on him and the quality of the goals he scored. Uh, we should be raving about his performances. Overall, away from the goals, what have you made of him? I don't think we should rave about his performances. I think maybe rave about his goals and his finishing because, as you say, uh, he f- he's finishing really well and his statistics are good and he's scoring in each match and... That's very encouraging for someone who's jumped up from the Dutch League to the top of the Premier League, which is where Manchester United are moving towards. I think he still needs to do more. I think he had a very good first half last night, quieter in the second half. Um, He reminds me a little bit of Nani. I think he's got to add more to his game, just get a bit more consistent within matches. But he's doing that far more than Jadon Sancho, who lost his place in the team. And with good reason, he was particularly poor against Ammonia in Cyprus on Thursday night. So you'd hope that Anthony continues to improve. He's still very young as he gets used to life in England and, and playing at away grounds like Goodison Park, where every single seat is full, raining. The, the fans are really on top here. It's very visceral going to places like that. It's very, it's very real and he, he's passing the test at the moment. But I think the point you're sort of making in the question is um, his overall performances, um, we can ask questions about them and I think he, he's got to add more to them. But when you're scoring matches, when you're scoring goals in matches and good goals at that, then that's always going to buy you a lot of credit. It's been compared to Nani, a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing and a bad thing because... <laughs> You can do these wondrous tricks and beat a man and go past someone and then in the next move you can make completely the wrong option and lose position and suddenly your team are facing uh, a counter-attack. At his best, Nani was one of Manchester United's best players. I'm thinking 2011-2012. At his worst, he was frustratingly inconsistent and drove fans mad. The uh, the injury to Martial, it, it's interesting that he picked Martial, he, he wanted him to play, he, he wants him, he's given him an opportunity, but um, I think unfortunately there's there's been a pattern where we've yet to see a full season 
where his body stands up to the rigours of playing as often as the manager wants him to play. So um, Ronaldo comes on and, and gives a, a Ronaldo performance, which is maybe one for the ages when you think about it. Like he, 700 club goals is is absolutely ridiculous. Like it is it is completely ridiculous that anybody would score that amount of goals. Messi's about to do it. No other footballer in history has done it. And because of the mood around him and because of what's happened over the last 12 months in particular... Maybe, maybe I don't know. Is he damaging his legacy, or, or have we forgotten about that? Like the finish was absolutely sensational last night, and um, maybe we shouldn't forget that he is one of the great footballers of all time. One of the very greatest, I think. Firstly, congratulations on seven hundred goals. It's an incredible achievement that he's still scoring goals. The, the rates obviously dropped off this season as he's found himself on the substitutes bench. I think him and Messi will be remembered as two of the greatest players ever. And in in the eyes of many people, the two greatest players uh, ever. He's been frustrated. We saw Ten Hag speak of his frustrations last week, which meant he started on Thursday in Cyprus. He didn't score. He looked really frustrated there. Came on after 27 minutes in pretty unfortunate circumstances because it was Anthony Martial going off and, I felt quite sad for Martial. He, he, he did well when he came on in Cyprus and I thought he started the game well at Goodison. He set up Manchester United's first goal. Um, he's clearly a player who Eric Ten Hag likes and I know that coaching staff like him at Manchester United. And even this position was inconceivable at the end of last term. I wrote a piece about him and his loan spell at Sevilla and, and it was a flop, complete flop. So his stock was so low and Manchester United would have definitely considered um, offers for him at the start of the the transfer window in the summer. But he stayed, he had a good pre-season, he looks happier, but he needs to be playing more matches. It cannot be stop-start all all along and it has been uh, too much of that with with Anthony Martial. But at his best, he's a lovely player to watch. His speed of 40 is so quick. There were a couple of reverse passes in Cyprus on Thursday. He was playing on the left, he was playing on the right. We were attacking the central spaces and that ultimately changed the game on Thursday for Manchester United and he got United back into the game by by setting up Anthony for that really good equaliser. So I'm not aware of the extent of his injury, but I think it would be better to see him back soon uh, if possible because he could be an important player this season, but he's got to be playing more. Interesting that it was Jaden Sancho who dropped out of the side, having started every other league game so far this season. And maybe not surprising, considering I thought he was really poor in the Manchester derby. Didn't give them an outlet at all. The ball just seemed to bounce back off him consistently. And, and even earlier in the season, you know, the games that he was probably getting some credit for, where he got the, you know, the goal against Liverpool, didn't seem to have a huge influence. What, what's the sense on how he's developed at United over, over the past year or so? I'm not sure he has developed. He must do more. There's been moments, as you say, the way he took the goal against uh, Liverpool at Old Trafford in in August, but he did nothing in the Manchester derby. He wasn't the only one. But what worried me more was doing nothing on Thursday night in Cyprus. A player of his talents, and I spoke to, to several people who've got a far higher level of football knowledge to me working in the, in the professional game, and they were baffled that... He should be running at players. The Cypriot players are not the best in the world. And he gave the ball back, played it back after a corner, which led to 
Manchester United going behind in Cyprus because he played the ball back to a young uh, player who was the only player back to Real Malassia and he also came off at half-time. I like the fact that Ten Hag hooks his players if they're not playing well. There you go, you've had your chance, you've not played well, off and you're not starting in the next matches. Um, and that creates a good sense of team spirit, I think. Luke Shaw came in for Malassia, played very well at Goodison. But Sancho was was really poor in, in Cyprus and didn't deserve to keep his place in the team. And didn't, so he's got to do what the other players have done. He's got to work hard in training. He'll definitely get another chance. In this month alone, there are nine matches. And when he does, he's got to do a lot, lot more than he has been doing. He cost a lot of money, Sancho. There was a lot of excitement about him when he signed. Manchester United pursued him for a long, long time. And he needs to start living up to that billing and expectation because he's clearly talented. Results like yesterday are really important in terms of um, being there, thereabouts when it comes to finishing in the top four this season. I think there's a fair chance we know who the champions are going to be. But after that, you know, uh, let's wait and see if Arsenal can maintain this form and let's wait and see if Spurs can maintain this form. Um, Chelsea have obviously got a new manager bounce and some of their young players seem to have a, a bit more confidence and a bit of freedom around that and he's changed the formation which again we'll see if that squad is, is built for that so it, it's up for grabs and you know if, if any of those teams including Manchester United were to go on a run of winning games um, you can see how you'd build a big lead and kind of you'd be in the top four That that's a really good season from where Ten Hag started the year or, or is, are the expectations still higher than that at the moment? I wouldn't say fourth alone would be classed as a really good season. I think Manchester United need to win a trophy as well. Uh, it's now 2017. That was the last time United won a trophy to the uh, Europa League. United are in the Europa League this season, taking it very seriously. You saw the strength of the side, which started against the group's weakest team in Cyprus. Probably going to be a strong team that starts again at Old Trafford against uh, Neil Lennon's Ammonia on Thursday. I think your you, you, your point is right. The surprise for me is Liverpool. I didn't expect Manchester United to be. Uh, I think it's five points clear of Liverpool. I, I, thought, I was almost joking about it um, before United played Liverpool. It said if Manchester United win this game, they go level with Liverpool, and everyone was laughing about it because it just seemed absurd given how poor United's start to the season was. And I didn't expect United to beat Liverpool, but United did beat Liverpool uh, and beat Arsenal. And yeah, Manchester City uh, look far stronger than everyone else. They look like just going to walk away with with the league. Um, Chelsea, as you say, under Graham Potter, he's doing things a little bit differently. I noted that he's brought Christian Pulisic in and he scored again. He scored for the first time for them at the weekend. Tottenham look stronger, but Tottenham Tottenham don't win anything. They're banned from winning anything. So that's going to be a difficult game for Manchester United next week. I'd be interested to see how United go against Tottenham there, but there's got to be far more consistency from Manchester United. One stat I worked out last night was United have got 15 points from the opponents who've played so far home and away. Against those same opponents home and away last season, United only had 10 points. So that is a significant increase. And I know that stats can prove anything, um, but it is pointing in the right direction especially when you think United lost those first two two matches against teams who they'd beaten last season. Eric Ten Hag has now won five out of six in the Premier League. Uh, the gap with City was shown uh, last week, but 
he's seven or eight games into his Manchester United tenure. Pep Guardiola six years into his time at Manchester City. And all the indications I get internally uh, lead to positive noises about Eric Ten Hag. So I think most Manchester United fans are having their manager. That's a really interesting week that's coming up. Newcastle at home, Tottenham at home, Chelsea away in the space of six days. That will, as you say, that consistency, if they could put it over those three games, you'd really start looking at them as top four. Just one thing before we leave, because we've just been bemoaning UEFA and the fact they put the fixtures out and uh, then said, actually, disregard that. Uh, we may change them. And uh, Jerry, one of those who the uh, flights booked to Paris to see uh, France against Ireland and may not happen now. Uh, that Chelsea game was only fixed the other day uh, because there's obviously issues of um, trying to squeeze all the games in and there seems to be security issues it's maybe not something we're f- as fully aware of in Ireland around train times and how difficult it is for supporters to get to games you're obviously very in touch with the United fans Can you just talk about the process of how they put these fixtures on and uh, how frustrating it is for the supporters that you know and how much cost it is for the supporters that they're leaving it so late to announce games I think it's an absolute disgrace what has gone on. The the two clubs and the league and the police have known about this fixture since the 31st of August and didn't settle on uh, time for the fixture until Friday. And you say it might not be as relevant to fans in Ireland. OK, most are not going to Chelsea away. But I know plenty of Irish Manchester United fans who go to all of the away games. I could name 10 of them now who are waiting to book their flights and the earlier they book them, the cheaper they are. And within a couple of weeks of a really big match away at Chelsea, they don't know when it is. And it's absolutely bizarre. I expect these type of things. I'll tell you where I've experienced these type of things in recent years. Argentina, when the Rosario Derby was shifted four days before the game, when I was there. Casablanca, I was supposed to go this month and it was just moved. You don't expect it in the Premier League. And this isn't on Manchester United. It's not on Chelsea. It's on the Metropolitan Police who were giving really odd reasons. This isn't a fixture which has been blighted by violence and incident in recent years. It's pretty tame. And for them just to say, we want to reduce the ticket allocation from 2,800 to 1,500, when all those tickets have already been allocated, when fans are waiting to book their travel. And travel's really complicated at the moment, not just travelling by air. There's train strikes going on in the UK. It's expensive. Obviously, we've got the cost of living crisis as well. And I think match-going fans get forgotten about too often. And for most people who say they support Manchester United, it's not a major issue to them because they're not at matches. But you've still got 74,000 people going to all the home games and 3,000 going to every single away game. And if we had the tickets, that 3,000 would be 15,000. So it's a real lottery win when you get one of those tickets. But I think you're entitled to know when the game is. I think it's disgraceful what has gone on. And I'd like to see the Metropolitan Police held to account over this. Their job is to police events, not to decide when those events will be. Yeah, 100%. Andy, great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Thank you. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.